welcome back to another episode actually the same episode as last week when g suite died and we couldn't record an episode but this so uh, we're doing that episode but you don't know it because you didn't hear that so uh this is actually october 1st um we're just going to rehash all the stuff we talked about but with some new stuff but welcome to the Houdat Jedi podcast. Um, as always, I am Aaron, joined by Dave and Fredo. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. And um, so, yeah, so we're at uh, last week. We we're trying to record, and, you know, it was like I, I kept getting kicked off of, you know, the, the meat call and everything like that, and it was fine for you guys. And then uh, I was trying to do other things. I'm running around the house going, it was really funny because I stormed out of the room going, Wi-Fi is down. I didn't know it was G Suite is down. I said, Wi-Fi is down. I walk into there and I said, okay, Google, turn on, blah, blah, blah. And it turned on. I went, wait a minute. <laughs> Wi-Fi is not down because Google's still listening to me. So um, yeah, it was it was G Suite, but uh, we're back. Um, but anyway, um, so the Saints are being kind of saint-like. <laughs> one, one and two. I mean. First of all, you know, Alvin Kamara looks like a million bucks. Um, and uh, man, when Eric McCoy, who would have thought that the center would outrun the running back? I mean, when you got the center who's head of steam, it was like, holy cow, that guy's a beast. It was uh, beautiful to see. It was, and that's the, the sad thing is at that moment you're thinking, we're in this game, it's going to be great. You know, Victory is not guaranteed, but you're going to be in it. And then slowly as the game went along, you just got that hope just slowly trickled and died as more pass interference calls and mistakes kept happening. So here's the interesting thing. Okay, so did you guys see what Emmanuel Sanders said um, today to the press? No. Uh, all right, so this is on Saints Wire, um, but he was on the um, 17 Weeks Sirius XM podcast. Um, so as Emmanuel Sanders has seen a lot of his long NFL career, he suits up for Sunday games with the Detroit Lions. The New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Saints wide receiver will be taking the field for his 159th career game in his 11th year at, at the pro level. So he's perplexed as anyone uh, as anyone at how his games have been officiated. In an appearance on that podcast, Sanders uh, called into question whether the NFL's officials are dealing with the Saints and their opponents with an even hand. Quote, I've never seen the type of calls that they're calling on a team over and over and over, Sanders said via Nick Underhill of NewOrleans.Football. I've never been part of a team where we're the second most penalized team. Sanders pointed to fouls on defensive holding and pass interference, noting that he's seen inconsistent officiating from the sidelines. Quote, I've been in the league 11 years. I've never seen the calls that they make and then the calls that we don't get. You know, like I see a running back running down the sideline and I see a cornerback get held and I know the refs see it, but they don't throw it. Sometimes I sit back and analyze like, what the heck is going on with these refs? That's Emmanuel Sanders. So it's like all, of course, all of Saints Twitter right now is going, yeah, yeah. In instant fan favorite. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean uh, the hard part to, to recognize is, and, and, and I always say, when people think, oh, you know, every fan base thinks that the refs are out to get them. And I'm like, not every fan base made an active effort to make refs' lives a living hell. You'll have to make look at me there. After, you know, after they get a bad call on us, because we did. 
you know, after not only we made our calls national after the 2019 uh, no call in the championship game. So, and not only that, but then the team itself, Sean Payton, Ricky Loomis, went to the NFL and they demanded changes and they were forced to make changes that the refs didn't like. So, you know, this all goes back to the Super Bowl, though, and Bounty yeah. Gate. I mean, yeah. like, this is where all the animosity goes back to. And it's just, um, I used to laugh at this stuff. I mean, I, you know, you work in the business and you're like, come on, you know, prove it. Right. Um, but like, I tell you over time, it's gotten so consistent, like to the point where like, I know that there, every fan goes into every game thinking, well, you know, if we can overcome the refs, we're going to do it. Like, I don't, I, you know, I got into that point. Yeah. <laughs> and I never, I never figured I ever would with the Saints. I mean, I, I always enjoy watching them play, but I don't get, um, with, with professional sports, I don't get agitated unless I see something amateurish so uh, conveyed. Good. Now let's let's be honest. You know, I mean, we're not playing the cleanest of defensive ball. Um, no, oh yeah, never, no, not but, at all. But we're still it, we're hurt left, right, and center. So, but it's uh, it, yeah, it's. But you see other teams. You see other. You see the team you're playing do the exact same things and not getting called. And I know refs aren't perfect, but I just thought it was kind of funny that Emmanuel Sanders, you know, fresh, you know, a seasoned vet, but new to the team, going. Oh my gosh, you guys got a point here. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, what I, I always default to, and again, like just to kind of echo what you're saying, which is like, it's not just the refs, obviously. It never is. And I, I think I always say, um, never put yourself in a position where the refs can screw you over. Um, play well enough to build yourself a lead that it's not even an issue. And they have not been close to that level yet. And, and, and if, you know, if you're going to commit pass interference, you know, be a little bit more, you know, sly about it, you know. Well, and then that's where you go, to, like I said, to the injuries, because when you're playing, you know, not 100%, your team's not firing on all cylinders, you're going to trot out younger players, players who are not, you know, as seasoned about it. They're going to commit those kind of mistakes that the refs can just go, Flag, 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 and look, they're right to throw the flag when you know yeah. you're the guy that says back to the the thing. Although if if the ball's sailing over both people's heads, I don't care how how that high that receiver was going to jump. That's not right. a bad appearance. And and here's okay. So and here's the deal. And uh, teaching for 19 years, and I like to think that I you know taught with the utmost integrity and did the best that I could. Um, but I will say that, I mean, you still bring your own unconscious bias to everything. And it's like, if you hear in the, you know, the teacher's lounge that Fredo is the worst kid ever. Fredo, oh my, my he's just, he'll just do this and that. And he's just awful, blah, 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 blah. And then you go first day of class and you got Fredo in your class. It's going to be like, that's that's already starting to paint a picture. So when you like, you know, and you, all right, the Saints are notorious for pass interference. We're going to be watching that. I mean, that's what you're going to be looking for. So, uh, but yeah, but it ultimately, you know, 
it's on us. Um, you know, so just learn how to play, you know, play without the penalty. Sometimes you got to penalize just to save the big play, but otherwise just, yeah, just do it better. So get, it, get, get your money's worth, you know, yeah. like if you're going to freaking commit pass interference, do it every play, mug the guys, you know, like to take the Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells approach to, to uh, pass defense and, uh, and just keep them from running routes at all. But instead, you, you're letting guys run free in the secondary as well. Um, yeah, it's not but great right, right now. This is not a Saints podcast, but we do have to talk about it because it's a Houdat Jedi podcast. But uh, we got the Lions. So um, hopefully, I mean, the first for the first three games, we're in, we knew we were going to be tough. And Aaron Rodgers is just, he's good. He's just what? good. You got to give him credit. But anyway, I'm sorry. I keep oh, getting us bad into football. No, I was just, just going to say, that's difficult. When you're playing teams that are that good with quarterbacks that are that great, the margin for error is yay thin. Yeah. And, you know, we're not we're not playing up to that margin. We're giving them wide berths to just go run wild. And sure enough, he picked us apart. So. Well, all right. Well, I said that, you know, last week we had a, a game plan and it got, uh, we had technical difficulties. Well, tonight we're going to be back on that game plan. We're going to be reviewing season four of Rebels. Um, probably, arguably, one, probably, I mean, I was surprised how strong this season ended. Um, but we're going to be going through that and what are our favorites and what we thought about this, that, and the other. But first, we've got to start with trivia. we got to get our brains wrapped around some Star Wars stuff. Um, all right, Dave, I'm starting with you, and it's got to be the first question that I looked at. Who hands over R2-D2 and C-3PO to the captain of the Tantive IV? Um, that would be uh, Bail Organa. It would be Bail Organa. Ding, 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 ding. Which, as a question, did does that mean to imply that, that Captain Antilles was the captain of the Tentative Four for the next 18 years? That was his job. He never got promoted. <laughs> he just got stuck there. He just got stuck on that one ship. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe it was a sweet gig. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Maybe it paid well, had a good dental plan. I mean, you know, it's like there are there are things, you know, better I mean, than good, rank, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, that is a good job, you know, that is good job security, but still, he never went above captain, he never got a bigger ship. Congratulations, he's stuck here. Oh, well. See, if he'd have gone and worked for the Empire, Vader would have killed all of uh, you know, his superiors and he would have had an opportunity to rise the ranks. After trivia, remind me to tell you the, about. Uh, just remind me of Darth Vader. All right, I'll and I'll tell you my okay. little review here. All right, so all right, Fredo, to you. Um, whose last words concern a malfunction in his snowspeeder's fire control? Wait, what? Whose last words concern a malfunction in his snowspeeder's fire control? Oh, that'll be Dak. That would be Dak. Ding, 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 ding. I can't remember the last name, but I just remember Dak. Well, it took me a moment to realize what scene you were calling to there. Do we know his last name? Um, I, I think I've, I know I've heard it, but uh, oh well. Somebody go on Wikipedia and find it out. Hold on, hold on. I shall find it. All right. So while you're searching for that, I'll give my question I look at here. Who warns Chewbacca not to touch the dead animal he discovers? 
And that would be Han Solo. Oh my god! I got it wrong. Oh, I answered too soon. Yeah, Han said I don't get it. It's just a dead animal. And then Chewie goes after him. Luke says, "Wait, wait, wait!" So, dang. Wah, wah, wah. Can you can you get the uh, can you get the music from the Price Right with the guy climbing up the mountain and when he falls over the box? <laughs> Ah, uh, man, shot too soon there. All right, so Fredo, what's... Dak Relter. Of course. Dak, that was his name. Yeah, exactly, of course. Uh, may, he rest, uh, may he rest in peace. The, of the east side Relters, yeah. Um, we'll pour one for our homie. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Darth Vader, I got to tell you. So I'm, I'm yeah. reading the uh, the new Darth Vader comic, mm -hmm. and, you know, he went to first the first issue, he goes to Tatooine, because, you know, he finds out that Luke is his you know, son, and then after this is post Empire Strikes Back, and so now he's wanting to take revenge on all the people that made his son weak. Basically, is what this is. All right, so he's so he first goes to um, to Tatooine, um, and then I can't remember why he ends up going to um, to Naboo in this new episode, but he comes face to face with uh, Sabe or Sabe. Yeah, Sabe, you know, who was, this is funny, it was the 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 role that Kira Knightley played, but doesn't remember playing in, you know, um, in episode yeah. one, she was, you know, the decoy, but Kira Knightley is convinced that she played Padme. Did you guys see that uh, interview? Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, uh, but anyway, he comes face to face with Sabe and he thinks that he's seeing Padme. So you're getting emo, you know, Anakin Darth Vader, you know, like thinking he's seeing his wife and then turns out. So anyway, when they find out it's, it's Sabe all of a sudden out of no, as they're having this conversation out of nowhere, land squids invade and Darth Vader and Sabe start whopping and whooping and killing all these land squids. And I was just like, eh. <laughs> land squids in your star Wars comic. And it's just like, Oh my gosh. So anyway, I'm, I'm starting to get really disappointed by this comic series, but um, we'll see where it goes. Um, land squids. So anyway. We, all we, right. all, we all prefer space whales yes. on this podcast. <laughs> hey, that's a nice little foreshadowing of what's to come. Well, um, so Fredo, why don't you go ahead and tell us what is new in Star Wars, uh, in Star okay. Wars land. Okay, let me start off actually, uh, we'll start off with some happy news because I have to change stuff around. But happy news first, uh, Billy Lord just had her first uh, kid. So congratulations to her and her fiance. Uh, they had their first son. Uh, they named him Kingston Fisher Lord Rydell. So it's Billy Lord, who is, everybody knows is Carrie Fisher's daughter, and her fiance, Austin Rydell, they just had their first kid. So. Congrats to them. They, they kept it under wraps, too. I think a lot of people were really surprised. Mm -hmm. Exactly, you know, and even the announcement is just simply a little pair of little baby feet on Instagram. So, which is cute. It's you know, after the last few years, you got to figure all the ups and downs that her personal, professional life have kind of had. This is possibly, you know, this is a great little moment for her and big moment for her. Wasn't wasn't their gender reveal party that uh, caused all the <laughs> fires in California? Was it? No, 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 no. They're smarter than that. I mean. 
I don't think, put it this way, if it had been them, they would have made a bigger deal at the end of this announcement, but no. Um, so starting off there with good news. Uh, other good news, actually, and I know we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, uh, but last weekend, they did bring Empire Strikes Back to theaters for the weekend. And it actually made enough money to crack the top five box office in the U.S. Made about a million dollars in so, almost 2,100 so screens. It's because nobody's going to movies, but yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> but I would, I would have, I would have contemplated, you know, you know, putting a mask on to go watch Empire on a big screen, but I didn't do that. I mean, did that's right. no, go ahead. Did it come around here? Yeah, yeah, it was here. It was yeah. actually, it was at uh, the AMC theaters throughout. It was at the uh, Broad, and I was at the Britannia. No. Oh. So yeah, and all those theaters, I think they're using certain uh, distancing and uh, safety guidelines in order to have people back in. Uh, but yeah, they, it's interesting that because I want to say we've all seen this movie in theaters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, saw, I, I saw it when it was released. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I don't just mean the special edition. I mean when it was released. Because I want to say I saw it. Oh, geez. I mean, in like dollar theaters a number of times. The original version, not the special edition version. But this you know, one. If, mm -hmm. I was going to say, if we get uh, T-Bob on the show, we can have him uh, talk about it. Because he, uh, I guess he went. He, he put that out on Twitter. And uh, cool. he, he said for Empire, it actually went up his rankings. Because he got to see it in, in the theater and had a different experience. Yeah, it's it's surprising how much of the uh, impact of these movies is amplified by being on a big screen. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, other quick news before we get into anything serious. Uh, tomorrow, you get the release of Star Wars Squadrons for PC, PlayStation, Xbox. Uh, the reviews are good. They are coming with the caveat that it's not a little uh, like Rogue Squadron just twirl around they're actually it's kind of an in-between rogue squadron and the old x-wing versus tie fighter video games where your your hud your vision is just you inside the cockpit first person view and you have to be cognizant of what buttons you're pushing what you're doing no i'm gonna be bad at it then <laughs> it's a good thing it's not on the switch because I, i'd just be off on the button smasher uh, it might be. Actually, it might be coming on the switch. I'll take a look. But uh, supp no, it's supposed to be coming out. They said it's better. Somebody got one of the uh, uh, critics said it's better than the Rise of Skywalker. I saw that. I saw that. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm planning on getting it just because you know anything that put me behind a cockpit and of an X-wing and just let me fly around will be fun. They do say if you get any kind of VR headset, it this will be really fun because because it's first person behind the cockpit you'll get to turn your head and see space around you. You know, a, a little related thing there. You know, the Rise of Skywalker has really become the Ron Weasley of the Star Wars saga, hasn't it? Give it yeah. 20 years. Give yeah, it you know, years. we've talked about this before. It's like, it's it's just as the easy pot shot. So, mm -hmm. uh, but no, so you think it might be coming on the Switch? If it does, I'll, get uh, it. I'll be awful at it, but uh, you don't have to look for it right now. But uh, oh, no, I, I can tell you, it's... Uh, it is coming for right now. No, yeah, not right now yeah. for the Switch. Yeah. But uh, until they can put Mario in the cockpit, then they probably won't. Or, you know, Donkey Kong with a Stormtrooper helmet on. You know. Star Fox. Come on, man. Star Fox. Su Super Star Wars, you know? I mean, uh, I just actually, I just beat that earlier this evening. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's it's still difficult, but uh, that's what safe states are for. So. <laughs> 
Look, if you don't hear the words "do do a barrel roll" in it, it's not a Nintendo. So, uh, next bit of news. Uh, this is something we kind of touched upon last week. Was that Timora Morrison's pretty much confirmed as Boba Fett in Star Wars in The Mandalorian season two? Well, confirmed as in anybody else has been confirmed, really. But yeah, uh, exactly. So the way this broke, and we'll talk about another story that kind of broke similarly later on, is that. There's a website called Showcast, which is a casting website where um, it's kind of like LinkedIn. LinkedIn New Zealand, right? Right. It's designed for actors and other creative types to list what their credits are and what they're doing. So in there, if you look at the CV for uh, Tamora Morrison, it says Mandalorian Season 2 post-production Boba Fett. Well, it doesn't anymore. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) Within 24 hours of the whole internet finding out, it got scrubbed, and if you go click on it right now, it doesn't list even his presence on the Mandalorian anymore. Do we but know yeah. who? Do we know who invented the uh, the uh, function of screen capture? Because that person has like done more for you know the internet than about anybody. Because well, first of all, so we talked about this. Yeah, it was it was on the site. And then everybody, you know, and I want to know who are these people that are just scouring these sites. But of course, you know, I know people get paid for these things. And so, you know, they see this and uh, of course take a screen grab and then then it's down moments later, you know, hours later, whatever. Um, and I, you know, I, we, like we talked about, it was uh, my, my brain tells me that it was somebody who you know had something staged and like this is going to be we get we can go live with this on such and such a date and then somebody else walked into that same content management system and put something in and hit publish and then all hell broke loose and then they had to revert um or i like the opposite side of it like i said last week i i really want to i really want to wish it was somebody sitting there going you want to watch me break the internet <laughs> Murray Morrison, Boba Fett, publish, and then you just wait. It's like our our computer, our you know, computers teacher at high school. He was like, "Hey, we're gonna do a little social media um, experiment here," and he pulled up his Facebook page in front of his class, and he changed his relationship status to engaged. He said, "Let's watch," and it was like within seconds, people were, "Oh my gosh, congratulations! I didn't know," and it was being shared. It was all of like hundreds and thousands of people that were just you know freaking out because he's engaged and they all got this. So I, I really want to believe that it was somebody just going, yeah, watch me break the Star Wars internet click. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that it would break the internet is because we we talked about that on a previous episode was just this potential of having Boba Fett in, a, in kind of a face-off scenario with, um, with Mandalorian and... Uh, uh, what's our other guy's name again? Cobb oh, Vanth. yes. Well, you know, it. what's interesting is that, um, well, first of all, this kind of negates any of the ideas of um, him being in there as like Captain Rex, which is something mm-hmm. we, we kicked around because why didn't they put that? You know, it's because uh, he would, it would be the same, be the same face. You know, um, the other thing, it was, uh, um, there's nothing released about of course it's not in post-production but there's rumors of commander cody being in the obi-wan series there's this by the way the who Dat jedi podcast we really don't talk about what's news we talk about a lot of rumors and how you know 
what might be. Um, so this is not set in stone, but but it is interesting that it was, they said specifically Boba Fett, because if he was going to be also Captain Rex. They would have know. put that in there. Well, here's the other question. I wonder if it comes, because sometimes you, you know, you'll have characters for first for like the first two, three episodes revealed, but they might wait to reveal characters at the latter end. Like somebody like uh, Giancarlo Esposito was never rumored to be in Mandalorian season one up until he shows up at the very tail end of uh, episode of chapter seven. So sometimes you can hold some stuff back up until a point. Uh, so it could very well be that he could play Boba Fett in the first three episodes and then Captain Rex makes an appearance at the end of the season. I don't, you know, I don't even know why. I mean, the only reason why Captain Rex would need to be in it is just because Ahsoka might be in it. So that's just a stretch. I mean, that was just like playing, you know, it's like this is like playing with your action figures, right? Um, you know, does it make sense for IG88 to be on Hoth? Why not? You know, uh, but uh, so, but here's the question. So, did this person give away the biggest surprise for season two, or do you think there is a even bigger surprise? Because you know, I mean, do you have Lucasfilm people right now just banging their heads on a desk or are they going, yeah, you guys just focus on Boba Fett because you don't know? Mm -hmm. They could very well be. And, and here's, here's kind of the thing. We, there's a hundred different characters you can drop in that will cause everybody to lose their minds. Boss. Yes. Oh. Well, yeah, well, not just. Boss. <laughs> Well, we know he's coming. We know he's going to be in this. But no, but what I mean is, you know, imagine at that moment you bring in Harrison Ford or you bring in at that moment Mark Hamill, DH, using the Nick Fury technology. You know, and then he's the final shot of season two, something like that. There's a hundred different ways you can go about it. And, you know, the, the fan base is big enough that they will just – you know, go crazy over it. I hear the phone call now. Hey, Harrison, yeah, we need you to come back and do this because some jackhole in Australia just ruined our surprise. So we need to write in a new one. Can you come be Han Solo for 10 minutes? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> come on. We'll, we'll, we'll pay you for uh, – we'll pay you in an airplane. We'll buy you a new airplane. That you, <laughs> that you can crash, yeah. Um, no, I mean, uh, like I said, it's – that's – like I said, I was actually – having to publish things today and you know it's like you worry about is it right or is it you know did i just publish something that shouldn't have been published you know it's it's kind of a stressful thing and it's uh so i can see why it happened you know we don't know the story yet but like i said i still want to believe that it was just somebody going hey watch this <laughs> I also want to say, too, one last thing about uh, the Captain Rex thing. I think it's very unlikely that we would get both. I, I think I was, like, all in on that theory early on, but it's just you're going to confuse the casual fan if you got this guy playing multiple characters with the same face. Just, people are just going to be like, huh, what, who? You know, and... Um, it's gonna, be, it's, gonna be the, it's gonna be the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing <laughs> at each other. Yeah, yeah so they, they want to avoid that if they can, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean it creates I mean you for fans, fans would understand it from their outfits and their demeanor that they're different characters. But having to explain the whole, oh that's Boba Fett, this is Rex, they're both clones of the same character, but they're it's not the, the same 
person. It's the no. evil Spock. Just put him, put a goatee on him, and then you know we're the white beard. Fine. The white beard. <laughs> you put the white beard on Rex, and everybody goes, "Oh, that must be him." Uh, speaking of uh, productions, we'll mention touch briefly on this. Uh, everybody kind of spoke about it last week. Uh, Black Mirror's Toby Haynes, one of the directors, is going to direct uh, Cassian Andor, or at least the first three episodes of Cassian Andor for Tony Gilroy, who's the director, showrunner, showrunner producer for Cassian Andor. Uh, basically, the reason was COVID-related. Uh, Tony Gilroy's in New York. He had to make a decision whether or not to fly across the pond to London to take part of the filming that's about to start in Pinewood Studios. And basically, the short and long of it was, did he make the, you know, do you do that, then go into quarantine, then start filming with no guarantee of being able to do the back, come back for the holidays, that kind of thing. So he just basically said, no, we have somebody over there who is already there who can direct these. He's still producing. He still plans on directing future episodes. So um, that's kind of where the story goes. You know, Dave, you were talking about, you know, football early on playing with, you know, fans in the stands. It's like, it's like right now I'm at the, you know, I, I'll go, I'll go to a, a bar, you know, that has tables spread out that, you know, and I'm fine with that. You know, you talk about can, what I go to a Saints game where there's only like, you know, 20,000 people in the stands. I think it would be kind of lame. But then you know, I'm kind of like there are days where like, yeah, I might if, you know, if I'm not sitting on top of somebody or then I'm like, eh, no, not really. So I, I vacillate back and forth. But right now you couldn't get me on an airplane right now. I wouldn't want to. I mean, I, I can't stand it when somebody just has a cold. You know, it's like right now. So I don't blame this guy for like, oh, no, I'm not going to go through all that, you know, rigmarole to, you know, do this, have somebody else direct it. Yeah. But it does seem like Star Wars is cursed, though. But that's what I said last week. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think part of it is it's a lot of the production historically for Star Wars has occurred in the UK. Most yeah. of all the, all the production, all the movies have done have been done at Pinewood Studios in some way, shape, or form. Even more than say filming in California or anywhere else. Uh, but it kind of tells you that they already got a system already set up in there to do this sort of thing. And uh, there's no, I mean, there's no penalty on on um, Toby Haynes jumping on it. He's done TV work before, and you know the expectations that Gilroy still kind of overseeing things. So. If they don't like what he does, well, they can go back and film it again. It makes me curious. I was going to say, it does make me curious about the special effects and the set design and stuff like that. Because, you know, we've got the the volume now as a filmmaking technique. And um, I'm wondering if some of the planning in terms of, like, building sets and stuff predated that technology. Or if they've, you know, figured out a way to, you know, duplicate it and they've created a version of it over there. I'd be really curious to see um, all of that stuff. I'm, I'm sure we'll get the behind the scenes stuff eventually. That's a, that is a good point. Yeah, it's like you get your house built and then somebody says, hey, look at this faster and, you know, easier way that we, we figured out how to do it. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. Um yeah, but, uh, I mean, so uh, did, when when do they start shooting that then, Fredo? Did you say they they were planning on filming and starting filming sometime around the latter end of this season or this year? So you know they got sets up. Um, 
they got some of the pre-production, a lot of the pre-production done work. So they were planning and probably hoping either sometime within the next six weeks or so. Because the problem is they're going to start filming and then they're going to run into the holidays. So there's going to be a break in there of about a couple of weeks. But ideally, that was, uh, and I recall a few weeks back, we were talking about uh, filming Kenobi. Yeah. That they discussed that they were going to be filming them simultaneously. So I think the plan is for both productions to ramp up and kick off sometime within the next few weeks so that they can get one after the other done. So uh, moving right quick to uh, Audible, something that uh, Aaron shared with us. There's an article over and we got this covered who have uh, been hinting that Lucasfilm is planning on bringing Darth Bane to the big screen or to live action, let's put it that way. So as you say that, here's another one. Again, just rumors. I saw, I read this this morning uh, as in my Star Wars feed that uh, who's, what's the, the name of the lead the character guy. in, uh, no, in uh, Jedi Fallen Order? Oh, uh, Cal, Cal Kestis. Yeah, they're talking that live action. So it's like anybody you think could be in live action Star Wars, there's a rumor to match it. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, and uh, this was, you know, apparently they got confirmation from uh, Daniel Rickman, who's supposedly a uh, journalist in the know, who's also hinted at a possible Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action. So their report is, you know, they heard rumors that they're looking to bring Darth Bane, who, for those of you who don't know, Darth Bane is inf infamous in Star Wars lore as being the Sith Lord who created the Rule of Two. So there can only be a master and apprentice. This is the guy created. It happens about a thousand years before the start of the prequels. And it's designed towards limiting the number of Sith because all they do is the moment things go bad, they fight on amongst one another. See, and this so, could yeah. be this could be, you know, what the Game of Thrones guys were working on. Could you be know, I, mean, that, I mean that I, I think that would be awesome. Um it creates an interesting dynamic because it's a time period we have not seen at all depicted in any of any other Star Wars property. I mean, maybe some of the comic books have, but by and large, I mean, most of the video games and comic books, when they talk about the Old Republic, they're going 4,000 years or earlier. We're going to get the uh, Jedi High, the High Republic, and that's 200 years before the prequels and uh, the movies that we've seen. This is a period that's completely fallow. It's completely, I mean, it's Fresh soil. You can go do whatever you want in it. I'm down. I think, like I said, I think it'd be cool. I, I've said, I said, my if you ask me what what would the, what would be the trilogy you'd want to see or the next Star Wars movie you'd like to see, I'd like to see the kind of the origins of the the Jedi and the Sith that conflict. I know it's you know obviously goes back a lot further than that, but you know this you know the you you could feasibly have a movie, you know, that talks about the origins of the Jedi and the Sith, and then you fast forward eight hundred years or whatever you want to. I mean, it's it's still a continuation of that story, but because uh, uh, we've never gotten a production, whether movie or TV, based around with the bad guys, the central character, have we? All of them have been the heroes, you know, by and large. I mean, I know we can say Anakin is the lead protagonist of the prequels and he's ultimately Darth Vader. But no, I mean, like where you know the bad guy is the, the central character. And it's an interesting dynamic because if you read anything about what happened with Darth Bane, there's a massive war that's happening between the Jedi and the Sith. 
the Jedi end up triumphant, the Sith end up fighting amongst one another. And out of all that chaos and disaster, the only one that survives is Darth Bane. And he's the guy who says, we're not doing this again. So that, that'll be the kind of character where you could get a really great actor and just tell him, just start chewing the scenery. Yeah, you get some of the um, some of the other stories that we've seen, like in Clone Wars and uh, Rebels and so forth, where you see these other Dark Force users um, who aren't essentially permitted to be Sith. Mm -hmm. um, it's like you can, I'll let you survive. You'll be a useful tool for me, um, and you'll be under my thumb. But I'm not going to train you as a Sith. Um, right. because we already got that position locked up by so-and-so over here. So um, yeah. it, it's been kind of an interesting dynamic to watch um, from that side of it. And so it would be, I think it would be even more interesting to see like the birth of that, the rule. Yeah, it'd be an interesting. I mean, because, yeah, because uh, you just reminded me of the Clone Wars episode where uh, uh, Sidious tells, Duke could get him get rid of uh, Asajj, which leads to the whole Night Sister uh, arc. But so that'd be an interesting mm -hmm. dynamic. So speaking of other rumors, uh, this one will this one wasn't so much a rumor as it was speculation that got triggered by an actor sending hey, out. Hey, kids, watch me break the internet. Yeah, exactly. So sometime over the last uh, this was okay back on September twenty fourth, so less than a week ago. Uh, actor Raul Cooley, who plays, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ravi Chakrabarti in the uh, sci-fi show iZombie, tweeted that, okay, I'm going to read you his tweet. I've gotten into that Lothal orphan, force-sensitive, trained-by-Kanan-Jarrus kind of shape for no particular reason. Cue internet breaking as everybody immediately I thought. Then he replied to that tweet saying, for no particular reason, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. He added that, and then, uh, and then he, you no, know, he replies to when everybody starts freaking out, because he got like sick over almost six, uh, six thousand six hundred, like almost seven thousand replies from people going like, "Are you been cast? Have you been cast as Ezra Bridger?" To which his reply was, "Remember, people, there's only one show you need to watch this October, The Mandalorian." Then he goes, oh, and his, the other show that he's working on right now. I kid, I kid, I kid, yeah. <laughs> well, what happens when the internet goes nuts? His reply, his publicist is like, oh, oh, McClunky, I was just goofing around. Where the McClunky is my publicist. Please take over my social accounts. And then with by the end of the day, so his initial tweet goes out at 12.45 p.m. By 3.35 p.m., his response, he puts a video response on you on uh, Twitter going, so about the Lothal tweet, no, I wasn't cast as Ezra Bridger. I would love to, but no, I don't know anything about that. Please, Star Wars fans, don't kill me. So make of it what you will. So, okay, so then uh, talk about the most random thing that you could tweet as an actor. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're gonna if you're gonna just have some fun like that, it's like go for like you know, hey, guess who the next Indiana Jones is, or you know something like that. <laughs> you know, go for something that's going to really break the internet. But you really went specific with be and even being kind of 
not everybody knows rebels for crying out loud. I mean, that's just, uh, I don't know. That's awful specific. Yes, that's a good point. I think so. I think that's a very good point. Um, the other side of that is that we know Lucasfilm uh, is notoriously secretive and will crack down on the slightest of leaks. Um, so th that's another argument in favor of this having some merit to it. Um, I mean, we're just talking about what would be the the other the big shoe to drop, the big surprise reveal in this. So, and we've expect, we've speculated that if we're going to see Ahsoka and Sabine, what it'd be like to see Ezra at the end. So if you're bringing Boba Fett at the start and then the big surprise was Ezra as the reveal at the end of season two, and this guy just goes, oops, I just sent it out to everybody. All right, so yeah. uh, let, let me ask, is there any fear that this is just going to become a Rebels reunion show? I mean, I've really, I, I you know, not to, I'm not trying to rehash what we talked about last week, kind of, but I mean, it's still a concern of mine. I really dig the Mandalorian because it was, you know, it was it was sticking with that. Yeah, it looks like Star Wars, and I recognize the armor. And there's people that look like Bosk, but it ain't Bosk, you know. And it's like, okay, here's a thing that looks like Yoda, but it ain't Yoda. And now it's going to be like, hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill, and hey, I'm Hayden Christensen. You know, not saying that those two are in it. I'm, just, but it's just like we're we're. Dave Filoni needs more action figures. He just keeps going back to the same, you know, five. You know what I mean? It's like it makes sense why Ahsoka would be the logical, you know, connection if, if she is in there because you know he's got to get Baby Yoda to the Jedi. I, so that makes sense. But then it's like, oh, here's a good show. Hey, we can bring back Ezra Bridger and we can bring back Sabine. It's like, no, you really don't have to. You can, but you don't have to. I don't know. Are you concerned that this is just going to become what would Rebels look like live action? In some, well, actually, not really, because we saw him manage the same trick with Rebels, where the moment that Ahsoka and Rex came up, everybody kind of saw that. Well, is this a Clone Wars reunion? But it wasn't. I mean, there there were elements of it because you had those characters in there. No, but that's but when different. Rebels became a Clone Wars sequel, right? But that's I mean, what I mean. Or you know, a continuation. I mean, it was. Right. It was Filoni's outlet to get the stories that he wasn't able to finish. I mean, I I don't think I, I don't think he he would try to argue his way out of a paper bag, sure, but I I think that's kind of obvious. So mm -hmm. is it like again? Yeah, you have your favorite characters, but I don't know. It seems like kind of some square pegs, you know, octagonal holes here. So not for me. I mean, um, I I like. Um, I like what Fredo was saying, which is like, okay, so like we've talked about the the, um, the quest, right? He's got to figure out a way, a place for Baby Yoda. So he's going to interact with, with Jedi or going to try to interact with Jedi. Um, that's the plot, right? Um, or at least one of the plot lines. One of the other plot lines is the Darksaber. Um, and, you know, we've talked about Sabine making sense in that context. Um and so, again, yeah, I, I, I kind of like with Fredo in trusting Filoni because he's pulled this trick off before and it worked. Um, Rebels, to me, is the best Star Wars series we've had yet. Um, 
partly because Mandalorian hasn't had a chance to establish itself through more than one season yet. Um, but also because it's just really darn good. Um, and I, I didn't get, um, I didn't get those, those reoccurring characters from previous series as being ultimately a distraction from the main threads. It worked. And let's, and let's all remember that I, words that come out of my mouth are not necessarily the ones that are stuck in my head. It's just, these are things I hear. These are things I think about and it's just spit them out to make for interesting podcasting. Um, mm. Another tweet that we didn't have on our show notes here, Fredo, uh, Gary Witta, uh, oh, yeah. the one you shared today, uh, screenwriter, author, talk show host, rogue one, the book of Eli, star Wars rebels, the walking dead and other stuff. That's his Twitter bio. Mm -hmm. He tweeted, yesterday no yeah yesterday some news coming from a galaxy far far away next week stay tuned yeah i figured i was like okay that to, which, so up to, which, to which somebody replied unless we find out who palpatine had sex with in order to sire ray's father i'm not interested <laughs> but anyway so sorry that, yeah like fredo you just said it, this is another one it's like wow okay you know, could be anything, and that's part of the dynamic that you have with uh, Star Wars right now, because there's so many projects and so many plates getting warmed up, so to speak. It could be anything. It could be a new book series. It could be but a new thing, TV you know, show. It could be anything. As much as I've gotten on, you know, I've been the one who's been saying, "Good Lord, Lucasfilm, just tell us what you're going to do. Be like Marvel and put out the chart of here are the movies we're going to." This is actually kind of a genius marketing plan. If mm -hmm. you just let people, you know, go ahead, you know, just, just, you know, vague tweets are just fine because then it gets people talking about this because, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking at the guy's bio. It's like rogue one or, you know, rebels. It's like, well, okay. So he could be directing a, you know, or doing something for the Cassie Andor show or, well, maybe there's another Rogue One spinoff show that's going to be released, or maybe there's truth to the you know Rebels um, sequel that is you know to be that is I've heard kicked around. So it's like um, it's kind of a genius thing if it's like, yeah, don't give specifics, but just go ahead, you know, because it is just nothing but free publicity. I'll I'll give you a topic. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the old uh, Mike Myers skit. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it is really clever in a way. Um, because, like, again, for all the blowback they get from, from fans like us on these shows, they're getting us talking about them on these shows. So, yeah, I mean, it's keep yourself in the headlines, but, you know. But but here's what I love about Star Wars fans, because that one person who said, like I said, the reply to the tweet was, unless we find out who Palpatine had sex with in order to sire Ray's father, I'm not interested. Somebody replied, Ray's father was a powerless clone of the Emperor, so there's no indication that Palpatine knocked boots with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... They're both right. Okay, okay thanks. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, no it's, a, it's an interesting proposition. I mean... Just from the standpoint of, you gotta know right now, the you know they have some stuff that's already in the works, but you know that starting a Star Wars project doesn't just oh we're gonna make a Star Wars today. It it takes a process, it, and they all want to be the hot new thing, you know. So 
it's a great idea. It's great marketing. If next week we find out that it's uh, you know, Star Wars branded underoos are coming out with uh, Gary Wood on them, okay, we'll be like, okay, that didn't turn out to be a big pile of nothing, but maybe not. So next week we'll be talking about a whole new movie project that's coming out. Probably now. You wouldn't buy Gary Witta underoos? No, no, no. I'm still holding out for Dave Filoni underoos first. <laughs> like, if, like if we're going Star Wars careers, you got to go George Lucas underoos, Dave Filoni underoos. Dave, and if you're not tweeting this on the Who Dat Jedi podcast <laughs> Twitter feed right now and, and tagging, you know, Fredo. Dave, Dave Filoni in this. <laughs> I like I like uh, the idea of a Dave Filoni hat better than uh, Dave Filoni underoos for what it's worth. Well, that's what I mean. Like you get Dave Filoni wearing a cowboy hat and the underoos. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna need another beer. I think. Okay. Are you veered into PG thirteen? That is news. That is news. That's all the news. Fredo is done with news, folks. <laughs> Nowhere near done with my beer. Hey, all right. Well, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, like right I said, this evening, uh, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, Rebels Season 4. Um, you know, previous episodes, we've gone through, the, obviously, the other three seasons. Um and so before we uh, we get into our kind of our topics that we want to, to hit, um, I'm going to go through the uh, each episode just and give a quick little synopsis of what it is. By the way, folks, this is, there are going to be spoilers in here. So if you haven't watched Rebels Season 4, then stop listening now and listen. Go try to find pictures of Dave Filoni and Underoos, you know, online, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> tell them who that Jedi said sent you. Um, but uh, so anyway, so we're going to be getting into some spoilers here. So uh, the first two episodes, it was a two-parter, um, and it's Sabine, Kanan, and, and it's called, by the way, Heroes of Mandalore. And you have Sabine, Kanan, and Ezra lead Clan Wren in a raid on a Clan Saxon outpost to rescue Sabine's father, who is being held captive by Clan Saxon on behalf of the Empire. So we're dealing with um, Sabine's... Uh, family issues and the dark saber and Mandalore. We get to see Bo-Katan in this, um, and it leads. Yeah, so we'll talk about that probably more later. Uh, the next couple episodes also a two-parter. In the name of the rebellion, Ezra, Kanan, and Sabine arrive on Yavin Four to join the main group of the Rebel Alliance. Harris, and then um, here, and so we get Saw Gerrera is back and we see his conflict with Mon Mothma and the rest of the rebels. And um, they go hunting for kyber crystals that are being used to power the Death Star. And they're, they're being harvested from Jeddah, right? Did mm -hmm. I get that? Yeah. So, um, but it's kind of cool. It's on Yavin 4. Um, so then season, the next uh, um, episode, episode five, The Occupation. The rebels are informed by Ryder Azadi that the Empire is building a new and improved version of the TIE Defender. And so they're going back to Lothal. Um, episode six is Flight of the Defender. The ghost crew scouts an Imperial airfield where the new TIE Defender is being tested. Sabine hits upon the idea of stealing its flight data recorder to obtain the information the rebels need about the TIE. But unfortunately, Grand Admiral Thrawn appears to witness a combat demonstration of the new fighter. Um, so then all heck breaks loose. Uh, episode seven is Kindred. 
Ezra uh, Jai Kel, if you're wondering who the hell Jai Kel is, he is you have to go back to season one when, uh, when, yeah, when Ezra is like uh, infiltrated the Imperial Academy, but he's back. Um, so Ezra Jai Kel and Zeb move to secure the TIE Defender's hyperdrive before the Imperial Recovery Team can find it, but Thrawn has already dispatched an additional helper for the search, Rook, an assassin and um, accurate tracker. So, uh, and this is actually, Rook was in the the um, Timothy Zahn trilogy, the Heir to the Empire trilogy. So there was a lot of people geeking out over that. And he was in the new Timothy Zahn books as well. And voiced by um, uh, blah, 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 Warwick Davis. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Wicket, if you will. Um, episode eight, Crawler Commanders. The, after the Lethal rebels have taken shelter in the ancient settlement, they discover a mining guild, one crawler stripping Lothal's surface for raw materials passing by and decide to hijack it to establish contact with Hera and the Yavin base with its communicators. So um, this is going to be one of those that was like, we need to have them have this thing. So let's just write an episode so they get this thing. But anyway, uh, Episode 9 is Rebel Assault. Hera and her assault team arrive at Lethal and begin a battle. Begin to battle their way past the Imperial blockade while the ghost crew on the ground sabotage the anti-aircraft batteries to allow an unhindered hindered attack on the TIE factory at Lothal's capital. And then episode 10 is yes. Jedi Knight, spelled N-I-G-H-T, while Hera is being tortured by Governor Price, Ezra Kanan and Sabine prepare to extract her from the Imperial captivity. And uh, this, spoiler alert, this is the episode when Kanan sacrifices himself for everybody and really steps into being a, a Jedi. Um, kind of embraces that whole thing. We'll talk about that more in depth. The next episode, episode 11, is Doom, D-U-M-E. Um, with Damn. the construction of the Imperial Fuel Depot and the resulting shutdown of the TIE Defender product, project, Governor Price decides to cover up her blunder by throwing a victory parade, but Thrawn is not deceived. So um, during this one, uh, Ezra kind of runs away from some loath wolves and one just keeps saying doom over. Actually, no, that happened earlier. They met one saying doom in a previous one. Now he actually meets a wolf that is doom. Um, so anyway, um, episode twelve: Wolves at the Door. With the aid of the Loth Wolves, Ezra, Hera, Sabine, Zeb, and Chopper head for the Jedi Temple. So we find out that Loth Wolves are kind of like Purgle, where they have hyperspace abilities or something. They can just move long distances very quickly. Uh, uh, so they head for the Jedi Temple, which they find being occupied by the Mining Guild uh, excavation team led by Imperial Minister Haidan, who is very, uh, very close to penetrating the temple's secrets. Um, episode 13, one of the weirdest Star Wars things, but I think this is one of my absolute favorites. I might be uh, getting ahead of myself here. But episode 13, A World Between Worlds. Um, a very controversial episode. Sabine ends up being questioned by Haidan and asked 
uh, by him to interpret the pictograms that he found within the Jedi Temple, thereby learning that the Emperor intends to breach the barriers between life and death as a final stepping stone to controlling the Force within the entire universe. Um, in this episode, you got um, Ezra is walking around and seeing all these little portals, and he ends up saving Ahsoka from her battle with Darth Vader in uh, the final, in the Twilight of the Apprentice uh, episode. So that's kind of interesting. Um, episode 14, A Fool's Hope. Hera, Rex, and Callus recruit Hondo, Gregor, Wolf, and Ketsu for a, and Ketsu is all the way back from season one or two, um, for a plan to liberate Lothal, which they agree to out of respect for Ezra. Back on Lothal, Ezra receives a vision that Thrawn is returning from Coruscant, meaning that they must enact their plan to seize the capital right away. And then the final episode, well, it's a two-parter. It's Family Reunion and Farewell. With Price as their prisoner, the rebels force, uh, force her to give their clearance codes uh, to infiltrate the Imperial Command Center at the Capitol. They seize the control room and plan to issue an evacuation order for all the Imperial forces to return to the command center and then launch it into space to self-destruct. But that's when Thrawn and the space whales and everybody else comes and Ezra and Thrawn disappear to somewhere. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about that more later. So that's just a quick rundown of all the episodes. Um, to start off with, um, let's just go around the horn. What was your favorite? I've already said, I think my favorite, the one I go to if I'm watching this season is going to be The World Between Worlds. I just think that is a really interesting episode. Um, I know, like I said, it was real controversial um, because people didn't like time travel in their Star Wars. But when Obi-Wan in Episode 4 says it's an energy field, you know, that controls all living things, it binds the universe together time is part of that, you know? Um, and it would make sense that Palpatine was looking for that. I like the mortis, you know, callbacks that they have in this. Um, so it kind of hits on my sweet spot from clone wars because that's my favorite arc from clone wars. Um, so yeah, this is just, and it also answers the question because, you know, at the end of the twilight of the apprentice, you know, you see, is that Ahsoka? walking down after the battle with vader what happened there well this answer is what happened there um so yeah that's i think that's my go-to if i'm just gonna be like i gotta watch something just to clear my mind i'll probably pull up that episode dave what's what's your top oh that's a good one um uh, i also like the episode before that one wolves in a door it's really a two-parter um because it's really part of the same story but that the, the episode before it really sort of amped up this sense of mystery. It was very much like Indiana Jones, you know? Um, <laughs> and I, I loved that. It's like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, I'm here for it. And like you said, the time travel side of this, it's kind of vague enough to where you can kind of say, is it time travel? Is it not? You know, or are we actually affecting the past? We don't really know. Um so, like, these are the kinds of things that they left it um, mystical enough to where it doesn't, like, really, um, I, I don't find it too terribly bothersome. 
Not to mention the fact that it's contained in this one temple, and this one temple is apparently inaccessible going forward for everybody. So, um, yeah, they tied, really, they tied yeah. that up in a neat little bow, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, even if you're like, oh, oh time travel, you don't got to worry about it. You know, doesn't it, doesn't it drive you crazy? Before we get to Fredo's top one, didn't it drive you crazy? It's like people just want no. The force is just about being able to do the Jedi mind trick and move stuff. That's all they, that's all they, it's like, that's what I think the last Jedi was, you know, teaching us. That's what Luke verbatim says. It's not about rocks, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like open, open your mind to what the force can be. But you know, it's like star Wars fans. It's like, Nope, it's just about tricking people's <laughs> minds and moving things anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and the, the I, character, I, the character of the 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 Hydan, um, yeah. whatever the, the imperial yeah. minister, I thought that was an awesome character as well. He was a likable villain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was, you know, he's it, like Captain Afro. His his interaction with uh, with the Sabine is is great. I so like that's neither of those is actually my favorite though. Um, good right. choice, but Jedi Knight's my favorite. Um, I don't know if I'm taking yours, Fredo, by saying that. No. No? Okay. Um, it hits you in the stomach. Um, and... And you well, see the, it coming a mile away, too. You know. Oh, I no. mean, like, the title of the episode, you're like, wait a minute. You know, you're reading the title of this episode, and... There's so many clues um, leading up to this with the loath wolves, um, with all the visions and the the meditating that that they have, and Kanan understanding. Like he tells them, like uh, I can't go into this mission without my emotions clouding things for us. You're going to have to plan this mission, um, which you know ironically ends up sealing his fate in a way because he didn't have any sort of control over the scenario that they ended up in ultimately. And he had to still make that split second decision at the end um, to save the woman he loved and to save his friends and, and uh, save Ezra. And um, it's, it's one of the more emotional sacrifices in all of star Wars. Um, you you don't get a lot of those. Um, I mean, Rogue One is a really good exception, but um, beyond Rogue One and beyond this episode, I can I have I actually just struggle to think of other examples. Um, this one is just um, it's just so gut wrenching. I, I love it. It's the best thing Fred Prince Jr. has done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because he totally nails where um, Kanan is coming from in this episode. Because this inter- I mean, uh, all I can you know, you know. is he's shaving his head or he's cutting his head and he's shaving his beard and he's telling Nestor to take the lead. It's like, okay, you know where this is going. You got the sense of where the force is telling you something's going to go off here. Well, and it's also Vanessa Marshall's best in this mm-hmm. whole series, too. I mean, the, the whole, yeah. you know, her Hera was, that, that was where you're really getting punched in the gut. So as it was awesome. I agree with you. Yeah. So for me, my 
my favorite. And then those are good episodes. And I think, but I, I don't, the reason why it's not my favorite is because I don't like watching sad stuff. So like, if I want to watch something, I'm not going to watch the sad thing. I'm going to watch the thing that's kind of either really interesting or the thing that makes me laugh. So anyway, go ahead. Fredo. Yeah, and then to which I was going to say a, a good second. It's the, the following episode from that one, Doom, which is just really, you don't often get episodes and shows dealing with grief and loss like the immediacy, like, you know, it's one thing to go, okay, we had a character die, that happens. But the idea of, okay, now we're gonna spend the bulk of this episode wallowing in that sadness and allowing yeah. the characters a space to breathe. That is rare. Most most TV shows, major character dies and you're trying to move on to what this means for the story, not yeah. <laughs> what it means for the characters. And you got a wolf going, you ran. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But like S Sabine and Zeb's uh, interaction with uh, Rook uh, mm -hmm. is just like uh, really powerful in that context because like they are dealing with grief and they're wanting to lash out, right? And ultimately they have to decide like, no, we don't just kill someone who's really defenseless. Is. You do really get the um, the different uh, levels of grief in there because you do you have them angry, you have. Ezra in you know denial. You have you know um, Hera in the other stage. Right? Yeah, but no. But my favorite episode actually uh, is I'm going to cheat a bit. It's going to be the finale, family reunion, and farewell. I love it for it's the one that I keep going back to. No, not so much because it's the end, but because it's a culmination. It's everything that we've seen over the past four years come together, four seasons, come together. Just the, the, the fact that you have uh, uh, Thrawn already aware of what their plan is and you know countering their move with, oh, you think you're gonna take away the Imperial Dome? Fine, I'm gonna put the, the Imperial Armada on top of uh, Lothal, I'm gonna bombard it. Uh, and they're having to fight to make that happen. Um, the fact that, you know, um, Estra has already come up with plans to check that move and how to beat the Empire. And it, the idea that he has to go back to the Purgle, nobody, I don't think anybody had the idea of the Purgle coming back in, being a part of this after they saw them in the one episode. But the idea that he thought, no, I'm gonna bring the Purgle, because it ties into his, the nature of his character, who's, you know, he's somebody who's been very open with all sorts of creatures building bonds with animals and whatnot. And he was its ultimate, you know, example of that. But it was just really well done. It's a perfect ending. And it, it leaves you off wanting more, but happy with what you saw. The, be the best part was when they, you know, the Purgle, you know, drug the Star Destroyer off in hyperspace was the <laughs> shot then of everybody with their eyes just wide open. Mouths open. Thinking. Yeah, and then, then you get that. Then you then you get then you get over the intercom. It was uh, Wolf going. Uh, was that the plan? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was that the plan? Yeah. We're all clear and, here. Uh, so that, that was really good. And I, you know, uh, we'll, and we'll talk about the the epilogue later. But I, uh, yeah. So I, I would also say Ezra's interactions with the Emperor in well, that yeah. are so good. They um, truly are. And it really ties up his character so well. Like he is at the point where he's able to just, like, yeah, I'll I'll give in to this temptation for a few moments, but ultimately I'm going to make the right call. I'm going to choose the people who are still living and still with us. 
and the idea, I mean, and it juxtaposes, because what I love about that interaction is how does Palpatine present himself to Ezra? He doesn't, you know, he's a, Ezra knows what Palpatine really is because in the world between worlds, he got chased by him, by his power. But here is Palpatine presented himself off as a kindly old grandfather type. And don't you want this? You deserve this. You, you totally deserve to get this. But then the moment that that ends, you know, it, it creates a good dynamic of reflecting where the difference is between Sith and Jedi. Jedi mm -hmm. recognize that there's a period of things and it ends, and Sith just want to control. And this is the ultimate point that Palpatine is after. He wants to control life and death itself, which what we know the character is exactly what he's always been after. So so very quickly, going around the horn again, uh, least favorite, um, I will start off by saying Crawler Commanders. It, it kind of felt like Fern Gully um, <laughs> with little, with, with, that didn't go anywhere. I mean, looking at the whole season, you know that, okay, they need, like I said, they need this crawler thing for the last episode. So it was, it, yeah, so if there was a filler episode, it kind of felt like this one. That's just my least favorite. I, I will skip over this one. Fredo? Uh, probably that one as well, but I'll also mention right quick the occupation, which is when they go back to uh, a little fall. And it felt a lot like, okay, we need to reintroduce what the situation in LaFall is for our characters because they've been away fighting and having adventures. But it felt very much more like, okay, we got to give you this information, get you up to date, and but it doesn't really go anywhere after that. Yeah, just second what you both said. Those are the two easily, easily the two most disposable episodes for the reasons you guys outlined. So, All right, we stole Dave answer, Dave's answers. All right, so... We'll start with uh, Dave on this next one. Let's uh, let's talk about Kanan because you mentioned Jedi Knight, um, and let's, uh, what I have here in the show notes is Kanan's sacrifice. Um, kind of where does where does he rank? You know, in the Jedi that we know about. You know, did he is is he up there with an Obi Wan? Is he up there? You know, where where would he rank? Um, and then uh, we also want to, we don't have to hit all in this all at once, but also want to talk about how he was still speaking to people through the wolves and what was, what was, you know, Filoni talking to us about there. So let's first of all, just talk about Cain and sacrifice. Um, Dave. Yeah. I mean, it, um, I, we, we touched on the, the sacrifice itself and what it meant. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, and they outline it in the story. It's like price, in an effort to kill the rebels ends up destroying the refinery, which shuts down the production of these tide defenders, which essentially gives the rebellion a major victory. Um, and so like within that context, not only within the context of him saving his friends, um, he's also able to deliver them a victory. Um, so his, his sacrifice is just huge. Um, you know, uh, I, I'd say, you know, you ask the question about, like, where does he rank as a Jedi? And there's a lot of different ways to sort of evaluate that question. Well, before um, before we get into the Jedi rank, let's let's sure. we'll go around the horn on that one again. Sure. I want to talk about what you said about um, uh, just about the sacrifice. You know, what's interesting is that remember back in the end of season one when the Inquisitor was, you know, saying, you know, what, you know, what did you do? And 
order when order 66 came down he, he's i ran and he ran away from being a jedi you know he he fought that until you know rebels comes along and he pulls the lightsaber out and reveals himself as a jedi but then he still doubted himself as a master you know um and that sacrifice you know that's that's the ultimate jedi thing to do you know sacrificing yourself for your friends you know it's what obi-wan did in episode four you know um it's what anakin skywalker did in episode six you know sacrifice himself for his son you know giving yourself for you know and all of yourself is the ultimate jedi thing and that's it was uh that was yeah it was really pretty powerful it's when he finally came into the acceptance of all right yeah I'm either going to do this Jedi thing or I'm not. No, yeah, I think he came. I think he came to that point earlier uh, in the series too. Like the idea of embracing this role. Um, by the time, I think Bendu, the character of Bendu, really helped him work through a lot of those issues. Um, he was trying to do his best, but he always held back because he doubted himself to such a degree. Think about, think about how this mirrors all the other things. Like I said, this mirrors, you know, he's teaching Ezra a lesson really at this point as well. We learned that, you know, in the next couple episodes, Ezra said he was, I get it now. He was teaching me one last lesson. Um, Obi-Wan was teaching a lesson to Luke when mm -hmm when he sacrificed himself. Luke was teaching a lesson to Ray when he sacrificed himself for everybody. So it's like you, you see those and that might lead us into the next thing here in a little bit, but um, I don't know. Fredo, anything to add on the sacrifice, his sacrifice? I think primarily it's an, you know, it's uh, having seen his journey and it's one that, so, you know, Place out over the, over the four seasons that we said, like they were saying, he was a reluctant teacher, in part because of the trauma that he was carrying from Order sixty six. This is a character who, you know, grew up in the old Republic, who watched it burn around them, who had to go run and hide, and only know in a way turned off that side of himself to save himself. So Ezra coming along and allowed him to you know, reconnect with the Force, reconnect with himself as a Jedi, brought him out and kind of led him to a position where he could see himself sacrificing for a noble cause. I mean, in some ways, his relationship with uh, Hera did that, his uh, family aboard the ghost did that, but that idea of all of a sudden being able to reconnect with that Jedi sense of himself that he had lost during Order 66 and the days after brings him to a point where now he can see himself doing something for the people he loves and for, you know, Lothal as a whole. He's living up to the highest ideals of the Jedi at that moment. So, um, all right. So now just where, you know, where does he, where does he rank in the, uh, like, and that's kind of a bad way to, you know, just like yeah. uh, measuring. So I know it's kind of bad, but I mean, did he, did he solidify himself as one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore of Jedi, you know? Um, or does, you know, I guess how much, how much did he redeem himself in the Jedi order through that? 
I think ultimately you can evaluate Jedi in two ways. I think you can evaluate them in terms of their abilities, and then you can also evaluate them in terms of do they get it? <laughs> do they get the big picture? Do they understand that they're a smaller part of a much bigger picture? And um, in in that latter respect, uh, Kanan is he ranks up there with with the greats. Um, he obviously he was not trained to his full to take advantage of his full ability. Uh, he wasn't as naturally gifted as a lot of other Jedi. Um, you, we saw that, like the way that like Vader would cut him to, like one interaction with Vader, he and Ezra both get taken down in like two seconds flat. Yeah. Um, you know, he's no match for Ahsoka. He uh, at all. Uh, he can barely handle himself against uh, the Inquisitors. Um, so, like, but that's the less important aspect to it, I'd say. Um, he, he really earned my admiration as a character in the way that he was able to overcome, uh, as, tra as Fredo said, his trauma uh, and also his insecurities um, and, you know, give himself in the ultimate sacrifice and, and do good. It was incredible. Yeah. It's a, in terms of where he ranks, it's kind of difficult because I'm sure that to me and people who grew up like us, who grew up with the original trilogy, he's probably not going to rank as high as say Obi-Wan. We're not going to rank as high as Yoda or Luke, those kind of Jedi. But it's, I, I wonder if for, next the second generation the kids who grew up with the prequels who grew up with levels if he's not up there because i imagine hey now that canaan is probably like maybe a step below ahsoka in terms of favorite jedi of all time like like to them it might be much higher because that to them is more what jedi means than say old obi-wan although i'm sure they, they love him or respect him in terms of uh fan connection or uh or of, uh, you know, that giddy excitement that you get, you know, we're probably more connected with the original uh, trilogy and the newer one, the newer fans are more connected with somebody like Kanan, so they would have higher. So I found this aspect really, really, uh, this part really, really cool about this season where, I mean, clearly Kanan is reincarnated as a loaf wolf. And, mm -hmm. um, I really find it interesting throughout actually the whole series. Filoni's been really talking about the connection to, you know, to nature and, you know, um, and basically because you know, one of the things that Ezra notices right off the bat when they get back to Lothal is that the planet is burned and they talk about how Mandalore doesn't look or not Mandalore, but Sabine's planet doesn't look like, uh, I guess it was Mandalore. Doesn't look like what it used to be. There used to be fields. So there's there is kind of this, you know, um, uh, I said Fern Gully, you know, but there is this kind of this. They're talking about, like I said, listening to nature and everything. Um, but it it really it really hit on me. I've said it many times. Like I look at my dogs, especially Josie. You know, I I swear to God, she is reincarnated somebody because she just <laughs> looks at me with like, I'm speaking to you right now, you know, it, you've got to listen to me right now. Um, so what, what did you think about that? You know, it, it was kind of, people might say it was kind of heavy handed on the, 
you know, reincarnation or, you know, the animal spirit guide or, um, I, I thought it was very, very cool. I thought it was very cool. And it also speaks to the force where your energy, when you die, your energy has to go somewhere, you know, did it just latch, did Kanan latch himself to a loath wolf? So I don't know. Let's talk about that for a second. Did you maybe, maybe, maybe you know, I, it's like, we don't understand it completely because the characters don't understand it completely. So it's, um, it's kind of an interesting way to, um, if you're going to go down the road of t talking about things in a more natural way and talking about the force in that context and trying to say, let's look around ourselves and connect ourselves with the beings around us and, and find value in that, um, which is like you said, it's been a theme of the entire series. Um, I think it's the right call to fold that into a major character's death in that way. So I, um, it made sense from a storytelling perspective for him to do it. I didn't find it heavy-handed. Um, it helped my kids. Um, they always really understood pretty much at all times, like, what was going on. It's like the Loth Wolves are helping them. You know, the Loth Wolves understand the Force, you know. Um, it was easy for them to understand and for that, I was appreciative because I didn't have to like pause it every ten seconds and try to explain it to him. Um, and I, I just, again, I didn't find it heavy-handed at all. I thought it was really, really good. I, I found it to be a really interesting and appropriate way to speak about some of the more esoteric elements of the Force, which I think sometimes can be quite difficult. And we see it when we hear people you know when you hear people complain about that's not what the Force does. It's all about the moon rocks. It's because we tend to ignore the fact that from its outset, George Lucas designed the force to be both the world's greatest deus ex machina and his approximation to Eastern philosophy. It's very new agey, it's very broad and very open. So it can be applied and it can function in whatever way the creator behind whatever project they're doing wants it to work. You want somebody to jump twice as high, hey, the force lets you do that. You want to be able to see into the future, hey, the force lets you do that. So uh, the idea that you might be able to transfer your essence or your life force onto nature. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, that's, you know, there's nobody to say that, no, that's not possible within this universe. But so from that aspect, I can totally get it. I also like it just as a standpoint of just explaining the idea that death is not an ending for a younger audience. Because a lot of times explaining concepts such as death and finality can be quite difficult. But if you're trying to explain, because I mean, obviously there's a religious you know, connotation to the force that is always kind of lingering in the background of it. So if you want, but if you want the idea that the essence of Canaan's still around, that he's still looking to a system that, you know, just because he passed away, doesn't mean that that was his end, that he still lives on. Even if he, even if all you want it to mean, have it mean to say is that he lives on within them. His memory, his his spirit, you know, what they took from him lives on with them. You know, it's a nice and neat and poetic way of doing it that it reaches kids without it being heavy-handed, which, you know, for some for elements like such as this, it could be quite as easy to be heavy-handed. I have to say something else about this too, which is that um if you think back to the like the history of the saga and all the other media that we've experienced to this point. 
the master apprentice relationship i'm not sure it's ever been conveyed quite as well as it is here um which is a credit to these few characters in their interactions together and the way that it's written obviously he wanted that to be the case he wanted these two to be connected with one another um which speaks to Kanan being a great teacher. I didn't include that in his evaluation earlier. I was like, where does he rank? You know, well, he might be one of the best Jedi teachers we've ever seen. Um, to wit, when he dies, he's thinking about how can I still connect with Ezra? Mm -hmm. And he knows that his Padawan is connected to the natural world. So... How can I can how can I still connect with him through the natural world through a loath wolf? Mm -hmm. So, uh, cool. You know, um, moving moving on to the next one. Um, the, the and I already kind of gave my thoughts on this, but the world between worlds. Um, first of all, um, I want to know what your reaction was in the moment when you first watched this. And because people on the, the net nerds, they, there was visceral reactions to this, you know, episode. So what was your reaction when you first watched the episode? And, and what do you think now? I mean, uh, me, uh, I didn't mind the concept. It made sense. I'll just give like a little cliff notes what I said. It made sense from what I knew of the force. It can, okay, it binds the universe together and, and the universe is space and time, you know, so that, that makes sense. Um, I also love, by the way, just how they started off this episode with all the quotes, all the sound bites from all the different movies, you know, mm -hmm. sequels, prequels, you know, original oh, trilogy. Yeah. It was so cool. Um, so, and, and again, when you talk about the, you know, the, the Sith, their ultimate goal is to live forever. How, that's if you can control this, then you can. Because, oop, I died. Okay, somebody go and pull me out of that mess so I can keep living. You know, so it makes sense that Palpatine would be looking for this. I don't know, uh, Dave. What was what was your first of all your first reaction, and then did it change at all after you've watched this a couple times? Yeah, my first reaction going in was um, as as it was unfolding, I had grave doubts that it was real in the sense that you could actually interact with these other times. I knew that it was a way of seeing to other times. And I thought that was epically cool. Um, but I didn't know that or even fully believe that Ezra could affect change in a particular time. Uh, even after he pulled Ahsoka out of that I, mess, I was like, is this real? What do we do? Is this real? Is this going to stick? What's going on here? You know, so it took a, it probably took a couple of viewings for me to just like fully invest in it and believe in it. But, um, like I liked it. Um, I liked it from the start. I'm with you. Like all those voiceovers gave it a poignancy and, um, an importance. Um, that, you know, even they even folded in sequel trilogy stuff. You know, which is like really, really cool because you're like, wait, that stuff hasn't happened yet. And so like this is, you know, this is time, you know, it, it's the past and the future. 
Um, so it was just extraordinarily well done. It was cleverly done because of the way that we talked about earlier. He tied it all up with a bow so that like, we don't ever have to venture into this ever again if we don't want to. Um, but I'd like it if they would. I liked it. Fredo? I liked it. So initially when I was watching, I thought, okay, it makes sense because we already had the previous episode in the Jedi Temple when Kanan fought the Temple Guards and uh, Ezra saw Yoda. So we already gotten some understanding that there were some time-space manipulation that could happen at that Jedi Temple because it's a nexus of the Force. So I was like, okay, makes sense. You're able to see and maybe you're able to interact. So when Ezra pulls Ahsoka and you're, you know, it was like, okay, makes sense. You're able to affect the galaxy. And again, the, the Force being, you know, the all-powerful energy field that it is, makes sense that there's there's places where the the, the normal laws of physics no longer apply. And then I love the idea that it presented immediately uh, Ezra with the choice to do the same thing, the saving Canaan, just as he just saved Ezra. And the natural his natural inclinations go, well, absolutely, let me do that right now. And, es and Ahsoka, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that uh, Ahsoka had to talk Ezra after she, after she was saved into not saving Canaan because there was a difference, you know, saving Ahsoka from Vader didn't upset things in the way that saving Kanan would have, because that would have meant their deaths. So I don't know if it would have created a, a time loop or if it would have just destroyed time, but it's more than anything, it's creating a dynamic where even though they have the power to affect time and time and space, maybe they shouldn't. So it's a lesson that Ezra has to learn. So initially I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I think my appreciation for it has grown just from the standpoint of it creates a dynamic where it puts a hero or a hero in an almost limitless potential with unlimited unrivaled power to do whatever he wants. But the moment that he starts going through that, you know, it's almost like he can lose himself, which of course gets juxtaposed almost immediately by the fact that Papa, the moment he opened the door, Palpatine could get in as well. And he's trying to destroy them. So it's like, okay, you think you're the only one who has access to this. If you're not careful, you can truly ruin things for everybody. So you know what the one unanswered question in that whole episode is? Mm -hmm. How the hell did the convor, the owl, the daughter from the Mortis Ark, mm -hmm. how'd she get in there? She's just, hang, she's just hanging out over Ahsoka's little temple thing. She's just, you know, squawking oh, away. Yeah. Oh, Ezra. yeah, Ezra, as we know how Ezra got in, how'd she get in? That was unexplained. And by the way, you know, one of the interesting, I saw this rumor online. They're saying that, uh, what would you think about uh, this? That Ahsoka is being set up to become the new daughter, air quotes, you know, of the Mortis gods. That, you know, since Morai, you know, sacrificed herself for Ahsoka, and Ahsoka is probably one of the most purely good, you know, light side of the Force Jedi, you know. Um, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought. It'd be uh, an interest, interesting one, but then you have to say, okay, who would you get to, to be the son? Well, I don't know, but uh, now... I want to I know what Ahsoka's up to. Where did she pop out of when she ran out of that temple where'd she go 
where was she for the next few years? Like, what was going on? What kind of adventures did she get into? I'd love to yeah, know. Yeah, because she didn't go back to the rebellion. I'm sure that it will be answered. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Does, that, does, does the fact that the Mori connects as that room mean that explained why the Mori was at the planet at the end of Clone Wars? I've, at the end of Clone Wars? You know, oh, Clone Wars when uh, yeah. Darth Vader picks up a Soka Soul lightsaber? No, no. And Mori was there? Was it, just, was it going around just following it? I don't know. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of, it, you guys, I can tell you guys are Marvel fans because you don't mind time travel all up in your Star Wars. So, all right. That, like I said, I thought it was kind of, but man, I'm not wrong though, right? People like lost their ever living minds. The fact that there was, you know, this time travel in Star Wars. Um, but uh, let's move on to Ezra. So we talked about the growth of Kanan you know, in becoming a Jedi. What do you what do you think about Ezra's growth? And I will I will say my thoughts on this is that man, we made him out to be like the most uh, fast to develop Jedi that there's ever been. I mean, it's like the jump in his powers between season three and season four is incredible um or maybe is it is it season no it's i'm sorry season two to season three is incredible and it just keeps getting more and more and more to where he's doing things like that we haven't seen other jedi do do you think it was a little bit too accelerated do you think they made him too good um but then we can talk a little bit more just in the his embrace of because he, there is a lot of growth there we've seen him go from somebody who really didn't even think about the force to somebody who dabbled in, you know, the dark side and then his ultimate sacrifice, he in, ends up mirroring Kanan a lot in that. Um, so I do like that. I thought he had a great character development through all four seasons, but I just thought that it was like, man, we made him out to be, when you talk about on the power scale, Dave, I mean, one of the most powerful, you know, in this in this uh whole you know, this whole star wars land i don't know what'd you guys think ezra you got our thoughts fredo yeah no off the top of my head i think i didn't mind i mean part of me always thought okay he's not getting the traditional jedi training he's getting the super amped up speed up uh let's cut the corners and let's just get to the to the good stuff training because in some ways remember okay first of all he wasn't a youngling he didn't grow up into this he got found by Kanan. He, he's clearly he's got some strength and talent with the Force, but he needs somebody to help him guide it, and Kanan's doing that. At the same time, it's happening within the structure of them fighting a galactic civil war. So again, they're not necessarily doing the traditional Jedi role. So it would make sense that Ezra's power, power levels, to go on a Dragon Ball Z term, would jump up higher and higher and higher, without us necessarily going like wow you you're growing no it's you know you're noticing that he's able to do more i also think it's also a uh, a good representation of somebody who's growing up within a war because you know people who grow up in wars tend to grow up mature faster you know and that's something that you know in the real world they they speak about that they tend to miss out on a lot of the childhood elements because they don't get to have child child, child it's like normal they have to be responsible. They have to be 
uh, quick, you know, quick on their uh, feet. They have to be more cognizant of their actions. So the idea of Ezra is living through that as well, may, you know, just makes it more important for him to be available and cognizant of, uh, of the powers that he has to his disposal and what he can do with them. I think particularly because we saw his dabbling on the dark side in season three, that this mm -hmm. comes as natural because, okay, you get exposed to the quick and easy path and you rejected it, but you're still growing. And uh, again, it's it, it takes a good way or it takes a good road through the four seasons, but everything that happens at the end is something that's been set up along the way. Because it's not just his abilities as a Jedi, it's his abilities as planner, a thinker, somebody who can build bridges, somebody who can make allies, somebody who can see the valley in others. All of these elements are displayed in season one, and by season four, they're in full effect. Lucy agrees. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> apparently so. Um, I, You know, the thing I come back to is that one of you guys, I forget who said, uh, that this story, Rebels, feels like Ezra's story ultimately. I mean, at the end of the day, especially if you look at the, even you look at just through the lens of the season, the series premiere and the series finale, um, like they're about Ezra. Um, and so like the series then becomes a lot really important in terms of his growth and conveying that and what it looks like and what it means. And um, I think the other biggest takeaway for me um, is how with Rebels in particular, again, I'm kind of evaluating the show here, and, and we weren't really going to do that, but I can't help it. Um, the family aspect of it, um, it's, it's such a story about family. Um, and so, like, Ezra sort of becomes the lens through which you see that that family aspect of everything he's the one that um i mean they all sort of take their turns at it you know like trying to keep the band together so to speak um but a lot of the times it's ezra who who serves as the glue for everyone um because they're all so invested in him they they all want to see him succeed um and so like you said fredo like his training is very unorthodox in that way because he's trying to learn how to pilot a ship and fight a war uh and um be a part of a team you know and all these other sorts of life skills that have nothing to do with being a jedi at the same time um and ultimately he's got to be very very talented in the ways of the force for for him to be able to not only um keep his head above water in that scenario but also thrive uh and we we ultimately see him thriving um so you know i think he's a very very gifted um jedi um i want to know what happened to him <laughs> so okay that's uh that's that is the the next thing on the list so um at the end of this episode you know we talked about it, the you know the space whales show up the hyperspace whales show up and they um grab on to all the star destroyers including the one that has ezra and thrawn and they shoot off into hyperspace to nobody knows where so 
where do we think wh where <laughs> do we think they went what do we think happened because um as uh, and we'll talk about the epilogue in a second but that happened the epilogue takes place post return of the jedi so um that's they're, they they haven't known where Ezra's been for more than half a decade, you know. So, well, yeah, I guess about more than half a decade. So, um, since before the Battle of the Ovens. So, I don't know. What, what, in your mind's eye, what, what happened? Um, after seeing the rise of Skywalker, there's, you know, when we hear about the... Um, what, what are they called? The outer regions? Uh, yeah, wild, already. Uh, well, wild space, something like that. What, where was Exegol? It was in the, had the, I can't remember what it was called, but anyway. Unknown um, regions. Unknown regions. Uh, yeah, it's rather convenient, but uh, I'm wondering, sure. wondering if that's, that's where they go. I, and I don't know, do we, do we get this, you know, are, do Ezra and Thrawn become like, Buddies. allies in some way <laughs> you know because it becomes you know survival at some point you know that that uh, that series uh, Star Trek Voyager mm -hmm. right you know like that's the first thing that immediately comes to mind because that Death Star or uh, that Star Destroyer is in like bad shape it's been <laughs> attacked by whales and some of the crew is dead and everything else. And so it's like, and let's remember something here real quick. By the way, the windows are busted out too. And Ezra is just protecting both of them with, sorry for the phrase, a force field, you know, because uh, yeah. of floating glass and he's, he's keeping them from, and now they're going shooting off into hyperspace. So yeah, keep going. It's. Yeah, no, I mean like they're, um, they're in a bad way. Uh, so it immediately makes you think and wonder, like, okay, so if they got sent wherever, um, clean across the galaxy to a completely different galaxy, um, to some kind of crazy, you know, place that they're going to have trouble getting out of, um, regardless of any of how bad the circumstances are, you wonder if it's going to behoove them to join forces, so to speak, at some point and say, you know what, um, let's let's team up, let's get ourselves out of this mess, and then after that, we can figure everything else out. Um, and which, like I said, that was the plot of Star Trek Voyager. It's probably been the plot of a gazillion other movies and shows. So here's the thing, though. You know, he, he sets it up, though, with Sabine saying, you know, I can count on you. Basically, he's saying... Come find me. Come find me. But but it's almost like you'll know how to find me is the way I read that now. And that's what I, I think Sabine knows kind of in, not just in he went that away, but there I think there is probably we'd have to go back and look. But I think when we find out what happened, we're going to see that there were clues laid out for us that he didn't just call the Purgle to take him off to God knows where he called the Purgle to take them to a specific place. And yeah, probably. I, don't, I don't know where that is, but it's, but he didn't say to Zeb, Hey, I can count on you. He didn't say to Hera, Hey, I can count on you. He said to Sabine. So what does Sabine know that the rest of us don't, you know, because otherwise you're just, you know, 
where where do you begin? You know, where do you yeah, begin to look? Yeah, because it's interesting because you know he doesn't tell it to the renowned pilot of the Ghost, who you know it, he knows that she's going to stay with the Alliance and help to see the, the battle go through the the war go through. He doesn't tell it to Seb, who we've already established had knows how to get around difficult places in the galaxy in order to find Lyra Sand. Remember? Yeah. So. He doesn't tell either one of them to, you know, I'm counting on you. He tells Sabine, the Mandalorian, to come find to, to that he's counting on her. So there's something in there. But I guess in, ter in terms in terms of where they could have gone, I mean, look, it, it could be anywhere. Obviously, it's a neat way of explaining why we never saw either one of them in the original trilogy, which is ultimately what they have to do. You know, the point of this is, hey. Why? Why didn't Why didn't Luke Skywalker bump into renowned Jedi Jedi uh, warrior Ezra Bridger if he's also walking around with a lightsaber? Why didn't Grand Admiral Thrawn turn up in Empire? That kind of thing. So there's a good way of saying, well, they weren't there. I, you gotta imagine that there's a purpose beyond just simply getting saving Lothal for Ezra. What that purpose is, obviously, it could be a billion and one things. You know, there's always hints of further threats. And dangers out there in the galaxy. Uh, the extended universe did a good job of always showing. Yeah, there's always you think you're done, but there's always something coming around the corner that's gonna smack you upside the face and take your lunch money away. So um, maybe one of those threats is what's coming, and they had to go be ready for it. I don't know. I mean, Aaron, you bring up a good point though that it's just like Ezra's entire goal was to get. Thrawn out of the galaxy or get at least out of the fall um, and just like get him off the off the chessboard and that's what I can do I can do that I can get him off the chessboard which means like he wouldn't necessarily have any motivation to cooperate with Thrawn at that point so like what would that conflict look like um, either out in open space or, or stranded on some planet somewhere where you know, they're still antagonistic to one another. That that would be fascinating to watch as well. Yeah, an um, enemy enemy mind situation. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking that. Um, well, all right. So finally, let's let's talk about the epilogue. Um, I will say, you know, I'm not always a big fan of epilogues, um, especially this. Gosh, especially the one in the last Harry Potter book. And then the way they did it in the movie, it's like, uh, I didn't need, come on. You know, it's just, that was just the, the story was fine ending where it ended. Um, and I'm torn on this epilogue because it was neat to go, oh, yay, cool. So Rex did make it through. And, and then the, you know, obviously seeing Ahsoka at the end of it, where her and Sabine go on their, you know, you know, adventure, um, to God knows where, um, but it was, I guess I sometimes do have a problem with it. there. This is Star Wars. There are tons of books. There could have been books written about what did Zeb and Callus do, or you know what happened after Rebels and how did Rex stay with the Rebellion? Things like that. No, they already got us to the end here, saying he fought in you know in the Battle of Endor. You know, so I wish there. Like I said, I'm torn. I guess I'm I'm just torn between I like the possibility of what's going on with Sabine and Ahsoka, but the rest of it just was like, yeah, I don't know. 
guys, what do you what do you think about the epilogue? What was your? Uh, we I'm not sure we would have gotten the reveal of Hera and uh, Kanan's the true depth of their relationship and uh, the the child and um, not not, really, ba not baby different, Yoda, different baby, <laughs> different, different child, Jason. different child. Was it Jason um, Sindula? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the fact that um, they went to that name. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure that was a wink and a nod uh, when he came up with that. But uh, that was lovely. I just thought that was so so wonderful. Um, especially after, again, Kanan's death was one of the most traumatic deaths in in the entire saga. So um, to have that moment of hope and life spring from uh, something so tragic. I, I love that for Hera and I, I loved Hera as a character. She deserved a little bit of happiness. Um, she sacrificed so much. Um, so like for me that the epilogue became important for that reason as well. And then, like you said, the Ahsoka and Sabine stuff, that's, that's a heck of a tease. Now, I, th I think that the epilogue can be split in two parts. First of all, the tease, uh, let me leave that for a moment. I think it's necessary as a storyteller to be able to kind of you know bring the audience to a satisfying conclusion. And look, sometimes a satisfying conclusion can be they all get eaten by the shark. You know, to put it, you know, if you're fighting a shark and the point of your story is they all get eaten by a shark, well, that's going to be the satisfying conclusion. But in terms of these characters, we've seen them struggle and fight and grow closer. And that's one of the advantages that you get in a TV series that sometimes movies don't give you. A TV series gets you a chance to get to know those characters. So the opportunity of seeing Callus uh, get brought to Lyra Sand by a Kanan after all the journey that they had from the first time they met in season one to now, there, there's something heartwarming about that. The fact that you get to see that uh, Hera with Jason and flying the ghost and you know, Chopper still being all upset about the fact that he's got somebody else in mind. You know, uh, I think that's wonderful. You need to have those satisfying moments to kind of bring you to, you know, okay, not only have you reached your end, but it's, you know, the characters will live on in some kind of way, but that, you know, if you close the book there, it's how you're satisfied. So I think in, in the first half, the epilogue's first half does that well. I love the tease because you know that that was going to be a question. What did, you know, Ezra mean to Sabine? Where the heck did they go? The fact that they built that into the epilogue and said, no, there is an answer to this. We're just not going to give it to you. Number one, it's great for setting up future stories because that's the wonderful thing about stories like, you know, anything within Star Wars. It's, yes, it can contain its, you know, what its main narrative thrust to whether it's three movies or four seasons or whatever, but it can always hint at so much more. It's one of the advantages that you have in a big universe like this. It's every character, whether it's Ahsoka, Asajj, Anakin, other characters whose names don't begin in A, they, uh, they can have their own story that you can kind of pop into later on and enjoy. So oh, I think I'm sorry, I just, I, I will, I'll, I'll, end this part of the conversation just by saying I, it to me though I, I get all your points and I, I agree with it but it just seemed like after the ending that we got 
I mean, after, you know, the ghost flying over Lothal and the people celebrating because they overthrew, you know, the empire and you know, all this, you know, then to have that epilogue, it was, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was like, you know, the band playing and, you know, one too many encores. It's like, just, you should, it just should have just ended with that song and everybody would be like, I mean, at first, I, I, again, I get what you're saying, but we all left Return of the Jedi in 1983, not going, not needing an epilogue, wondering whatever, because you know, eventually people wrote books about this stuff. So mm-hmm. I, my point is that they said, you know, okay, write your books, but we're going to tell you what happened to all these people right now. So again, it's kind of, so there's. No, what I, will, what I will say is this. The main, the narrative thrust of the original trilogy was defeating the Empire. So when the movie ended after they defeated the Empire, hey, you have gotten your story from start to finish. Done. Thank you. Now imagine... I'm sorry. But, Rebels, yeah. but Rebels, the narrative thrust was the ghost, the crew of the ghost. It was those characters that you spent four seasons with, which if we want to compare to a, another show, bigger show, this is why so many fans were upset with the last season of Game of Thrones. Because that show failed in recognizing that the audience built a connection to the characters. So that even if you finished up your plot element story, you did not satisfy the way that the characters ended off. They felt rushed and they felt shortened and people felt upset. Filoni giving you the epilogue is good. Yeah, it is giving you a little bit more but it's giving you a little bit more in a way in which, look, you spent four seasons with these characters. Let me leave you in a spot where you go, well, at least I know where they're at. But yeah, so, but, ima- but let's reimagine this since you guys made me watch all this Marvel crap. All right, so let's reimagine this. What if, you know, okay, we get, you know, we get the fade to black and then it comes back and you, you have the same visual, which is Sabine, you know, just kind of looking at Lethal. No voiceover. Okay, and she turns, and you see, you see the, you see a couple ships. You see the ghost, and you see another ship. And again, nobody's talking to each other, but you see Callus and Zeb getting on one ship, taken off. You see Hera and Jason Sindula. So it's hinting at the fact that who's this little kid? Did her and Kanan get down? What's this about? You know, they get on the ghost, off they go, and then. Off, then up comes this other ship, and Ahsoka steps off and whaps her staff, and Sabine puts on her helmet. Again, nobody says a word. You still see all of that, and it makes your brain start going, well, what are these stories, rather than, here are the stories, kids. I'm going to tell you what the stories are. I think it could have been something that would have satisfied, like you said, without, without giving the whole store away. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, again, the epilogue is the epilogue either way. Like, what you're describing is still an epilogue. It's just without a voiceover or without dialogue. So it's like, you know, um, it's a stylistic choice. But the bigger point I'm making is that without saying, and in 30 years, so-and-so dies, and in 20 years, so-and-so goes off to here, you know, it's... That that was my problem. It's like I don't mind an epilogue per se, but you know, the, I don't know. It just so, uh, I you know I'll dovetail off something that Fredo said, which is like um, you know you want to see the 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 character's journey end, right? 
um, at least in a satisfying way. You want to understand that, like, four seasons. I've been with them for four years. I want to know that they turned out okay. Um, part of that for this group was seeing the rebellion through and defeating the Empire. And so I almost feel like it was necessary to leap forward a few years to, to show us that they were there for the end of it um, because they had given so much and they had sacrificed so much and we'd given so much along with them. So it's like, yes, yes. You know, it's a very gratifying thing to see like Hera survived the Battle of Endor um, and not just, you know, Oh, she got knocked up. What's next? I don't know. You know, like, uh, it put a punctuation point on her story. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not going to fault the creators of Rebels for that because, like, they don't know. Is, is Hera going to get her own story eventually? Is, is this going to ever, are we ever going to revisit the crew of the ghosts? And no. I'm sure Filoni was thinking probably not. Well, she is going to be in Star Wars Squadrons, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see her again. No, but I will say just to, just to kind of uh, go with what you're saying, Dave, in terms of wrapping up the story. I mean, this is the moment where, you know, if you're going to do a little bit lanyap, if you're going to be a little bit extra, this is the moment you get to do it. Because this is, by this point, you have your audience. You've earned your goodwill. This is where you burn it because you get to kind of, you know, you know, it, you know, be a little bit more flamboyant, a bit goofy, because it's over. The story's over. You get to throw a little, if you want to throw a couple of extra cherries on top, here you do it because you know the fans will enjoy it. People will love it. And then, you know, you're done. And I so get your point too, where it's like, does it serve the story? I mean, that's the end, the end of the day. You guys, I don't think you can say all epilogue, epilogues are trash or all epilogues are great. Um, I'm with you on the Harry Potter one. I hated it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, this is unnecessary, but whatever. Uh, I'll shrug and move on. This one, I like a lot more than that one. I would agree but with I, you there. Yeah, I uh, think part of it, yeah, I think part of it is, is that the epilogue in Harry Potter felt so disconnected from everything else. It had no connection whatsoever beyond the characters that we knew, who at that point were like 30 years older and were no longer the same people. It was, it was good for shippers, I think. <laughs> that was, that was the only purpose it served. Was like, okay. Did we, we need talked. to know that? Yeah. Did we need to know that Ron Weasley and and uh, and Hermione Granger got it on? Did we really need to know that? <laughs> Did we Apparently well. so. <laughs> well, that'll be another episode of uh, fictional characters who got it on on the Who That Jedi podcast. But uh, so yeah, uh, you know that was a good discussion for season four. Obviously, we uh, all kind of dug that season. So uh, um, we'd like to hear from you, people who are listening, uh, what you thought of Rebel season four, the topics we discussed. Remember, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and on uh, the get the podcast on Podbean and on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. Um, like I said, on social media, interact with us. We like to talk Star Wars. Um, so yeah, let us know what you think. Um, and until then, I suppose we will say, who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And beat the lions for the love of God, beat the lions. And uh, but uh, we will see you next week. Makanki.